This past Tuesday, just one day shy of the one-year anniversary of the election of President Trump, thousands of high school seniors in New York City exercised their civic duty for the first time. That's right, they voted in the mayoral and or city council elections. And while we and we the people tend to specialize and narrow our political discussions to those pertaining to people who can't vote, the stories of those who suddenly, for the first time ever, can, are equally interesting, informative, and valuable. So today we're going to follow two high school students, Alice and Mercer, on their path to the voting booth. I'm Zora Lungarid, and this is We the People. Politics for those who, okay, well, for the purposes of this episode, this is just We the People. Bill de Blasio is elected mayor of New York Stop City. Stop reading the Wikipedia page. <laughs> it's true. Okay. Um, okay. Okay, so let's review who's running. This is Mercer, Alice, and me on Monday afternoon in a quiet study space at our high school's library. We'd all been doing homework when Mercer had casually mentioned that she was going to vote the next day for the first time. But she wasn't entirely sure about who exactly the candidates were. Belle de Blasio. Blasio. Someone. Sal Albanese. Richard. Wait, what's the one she was saying? Bob. These are names that I have not heard of. I kind of don't care because I hope I'll be going to college in a different state. That's Jordan, another one of my classmates and the musical mastermind behind the closing song in our Black Lives Matter episode. Her perspective here, a sort of apologetic apathy, isn't unique to just her. The Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement at Tufts University found in 2014 that youth turnout, that's youth defined as 18 to 29 year olds, was 21.5% from the midterm elections that year. Similar to midterms, mayoral and city council elections tend to get less general hype as general elections do, so they tend to be even less interesting to young people. Specifically in New York City, the NYC Campaign Finance Board found in June of 2012 that young people are one of the key demographics contributing to negative voter turnout, with senior citizens as the main group keeping turnout afloat. Put simply, many of us, young people, are letting our grandparents decide who's mayor. This sense of transient state or city identity, think of Jordan questioning if New York City elections actually matter for her if she's enrolled in college in a different state, it definitely affects youth turnout. But another key factor is that we simply aren't catered to. Local campaigns tend to target seniors, since they're pretty reliable voters, and if retired, they're able to help out on the campaign. That means that youth don't get those door-to-door messengers or unsolicited phone calls, and thus we ignore election day and don't turn up to vote because we're unaware of the specific issues. But in the best case scenario, we're able to do our own research to make an informed decision. To do this, we tend to use our own equivalent of an informational pamphlet, Google. Okay, so we have Bill de Blasio, Democratic Party, um, Nicole Maliotakis, Republican Party, Robbie Gosine, Independent, Sal Albanese, Reform, and Bo Deedle, Independent. For all those listeners unfamiliar with New York City politics, here's a quick summary. De Blasio, who Mercer mentioned first, was mayor for the previous term. We'll get into what his specific stances on issues are and what his legacy has been, but you should know that there were pretty mixed feelings about his work as mayor. 
Nicole Maliotakis is the sole woman and Republican running for mayor. New York is an extraordinarily politically liberal city. What are your guys' party affiliations, even though you've never voted before? Like, I what think would you I say? may have Democrat. registered as a Democrat. I registered as a Democrat. Yeah. As of 2013, close to 70% of all registered voters are Democrats. So Republican candidates for positions other than city council are often disregarded due to the sheer number of Democrats they have to sway. Robbie Gosein was a write-in candidate, meaning he's running as an independent candidate, unaffiliated to any political party. His motto, according to his campaign website, is, quote, no politics, real leadership, end quote. Enough said. The candidate for the Reform Party, one of America's lesser-known third parties, is Saul Albanese, who's been a city council member, a member of Obama's New York delegation in 2008, and has run unsuccessfully for mayor twice as a Democrat. Lastly, there's Bo Deedle, a Fox News contributor, former NYPD detective, actor and producer, a Republican congressional nominee, and the chairman of basically this guy has an extensive and diverse resume. You can get all the details on his Wikipedia page. But Mercer and Alice didn't yet know all this on that Monday afternoon in the library. So they came up with a system. They were going to read through each of the candidates' positions on specific issues according to an article from AM New York, and then compare them. They would then decide which candidate had the most compelling stance on the issue and give that candidate a point. Whoever had the most points at the end of the day would win their votes. Okay, what? Bill de Blasio. Brief bio. Oh, on the issues. Okay. This is, is there perfect. a chart or something that says Kind that? of. So this is, okay, so on homelessness and housing. During his tenure, the mayor created a homeless outreach program called Homestat with the goal of bringing people off the streets and into shelters. So, so far, nice. 750 New Yorkers have been transitioned into shelters. That seems like a low number based on like the no. poverty rate, right? The reason those numbers sound a little small is actually part of de Blasio's argument for Homestat. The program is essentially comprised of two parts, a census and a solution. First, a census is taken of all people living on the streets in the city by outreach workers, doing things like quarterly nighttime counts, maps of 311 calls, and weekly canvassing. This collection of information and data serves to create individualized, long-term solutions for individuals experiencing homelessness. But to many, Homestat can seem insufficient. He's proposed opening 90 new shelters across all five boroughs over the span of five years as a part of his plan to curb the homeless crisis. The plan also included, included the promised elimination of housing homeless residents in hotels by 2023. Uh... He's been criticized for his approach to homelessness because of the number of people living in shelters. Homelessness in New York is acute, and a quick solution that would get the largest number of people off the streets immediately is tempting. In December of 2015, de Blasio addressed this need for a speedy band-aid, saying, quote, we're going to have an individual solution for each person, and we will relentlessly pursue it, and it will take years. I'm not for a moment saying this is easy stuff. It's not an easy mission to complete, but day by day, week by week, we're going to get people off the street, end quote. But enough de Blasio. Let's hear the other candidates. Nicole says she does not agree with de Blasio's plan to build more homeless shelters across the city, arguing that the focus should be on transitioning people out of shelters. She says she will address the underlying issues of homelessness, like substance abuse, mental illness, domestic violence, oh, or so lack of employment, and build affordable housing. Okay. Well, I like but that. are you only going to vote on homelessness, or are you going to vote? Well, on no, homelessness? no, no. The homelessness no, column win Nicole. Okay. okay. Here, it's important to remember that De Blasio is the only guy running with experience as New York mayor. He has been through the legislative process of the city, and he has the benefit of pointing to programs he started that already exist and work in the status quo as reasons to vote for him. On the flip side, 
Malia Takis can write whatever she wants on her stance to homelessness, since she doesn't have a clear legacy to uphold or a program she has to follow. Ultimately, in terms of policy, both candidates are more or less saying the same thing. It's just the ways that they're saying it that are different. In this case, to Mercer and Alice, Malia Takis's is better. Oh, except don't forget. Deedle believes psychiatric treatment, job counseling, and other supportive training is key in lowering the homeless population in the city. He has also proposed using vacant city-owned buildings to house homeless people. Okay. Vacant buildings? Yeah, but okay, the psychiatric like, thing yeah, is good. He's after Nicole. Yeah, I like on, that, on that one. Okay. By the way, Mercer and Alice had decided to narrow down the candidates to people they thought could actually win if they voted for them. Okay, so for all you keeping score at home, one point Maliotakis, zero points de Blasio, and zero points Deedle. <clears throat> Back to de Blasio, second issue is jobs in the economy. So de Blasio's current administration unveiled an initiative in 2016, LifeSci NYC, that aims to bring in 16,000 new biotechnology jobs to the city through tax breaks for labs and research films. The initiative is part of the mayor's overarching plan to create 100,000 jobs over 10 years. That horrible clicking sound is Alice unwrapping a Jolly Rancher. She apologizes. So far, the city has seen 300,000 new jobs added in de Blasio's first term, according to his campaign. That's a lot. Okay, let's hear Nicole. Okay. She says, oh, this is very short. Um, Maliotakis wants to, is it Maliotakis? I think it's Maliotakis. Okay. Maliotakis wants to streamline the permit process for new businesses and exempt small businesses from the commercial rent tax. Do you like that's small like, businesses? Um, but they're like, folk, that's yeah? like hard to compare that's the two. That's different to, different, different than Okay, how about a clear tie? Before we started recording this, Alice and Mercer had mentioned that they'd want to vote for someone who would better aspects of the city that directly affect them. Success of small businesses and the ability to start up easily in New York feels abstract, particularly to young people who are unlikely to be small business owners in the near future. Let's look about an issue that pertains to us. Well, they all do, Loki. Mm, I'm not getting hired and I'm not homeless, so. <laughs> okay. Maybe Maliotakis's pro-small business stance would better New York, but de Blasio's clear-cut numbers on jobs seem a little more compelling. There's another candidate, though. Bo Deedle. He says, if elected, Deedle would fight to raise the minimum wage in the city. He would also create a program that would hire out-of-work New Yorkers to clean up the five boroughs. Oh, he sounds better. That sounds better. pretty good. Okay, yeah. so when, what's his name? Bo, Bo Deedle. Scoreboard update, Maliotakis has a point, de Blasio has zero, and Deedle also has a point. Now to get into something that directly and intensely affects Mercer, Alice, and me. Transit. This is important. Um, that affects both of us. That affects yeah, exactly. everyone yeah. at the table. Okay. okay, so this is de Blasio. The mayor often touts the successes of his Vision Zero Traffic Safety Initiative, which his campaign says has reduced traffic deaths by 23% since 2014. Oh, that reduced that in the speed good. limit? That was pretty good. I double-checked this claim, that 23% reduction in traffic-related deaths since 2014, and found even more positive stats. Vision Zero's three-year report states that the three years the program has existed have been the city's safest three years in terms of traffic. One stat that really put this in perspective for me was that 21,808 bike helmets were fitted and distributed in 2016 under Vision Zero. Biking in New York is notoriously dangerous, and any number of helmets is unlikely to change that, but just thinking of the sheer number of newly protected heads this program has created is amazing. So, go to Blasio. Okay, his plan to fix the subway's crumbling infrastructure has been met with mixed reviews. Maybe I celebrated too soon. 
Following a summer filled with ter- terrible commutes caused by everything from track fires to derailments, oh, the mayor announced a proposal to fund the modernization of the subway system by taking the city's wealthiest earners. Hmm. Um, the so-called millionaire's tax would also create enough funding for 80,000 half-priced metro cards for low-income New Yorkers, an initiative that has been pushed by some transit advocates in the face of rising subway fares. Some transit ad- advocates, however, prefer congestion pricing, including tolling currency-free East River bridges as a more sustainable way to generate transit funds. De Blasio has also helped launch a new NYC ferry system in 2017, bringing a new transportation option to places like the Rockways and Astoria at the same cost as a subway ride. Okay, this sounds like a lot, but it sounds good. A key thing to know about New Yorkers is that we love good public transportation. While New York is a very walkable city, it's also connected by this great system of trains that anyone can access for 275. On the flip side, we can't stand bad public transit. transit what is it then, about the subway that you don't like? Like, it's what gross. is it? It's disgusting. Alice's yeah. complaint here is certainly part of it, but another huge issue is the amount of time a passenger has to sit in one of those disgusting cars. This past summer, nicknamed the Summer of Hell by New York Governor Cuomo, was the worst it's been, at least in my lifetime. Train routes were completely changed to allow for much-needed track construction. The heat made track fires more likely, and much, much worse. I started keeping a log of the ranges and the causes of my train delays on the Notes app on my phone. At the longest, I was stuck underground without cell service or air conditioning for an hour, due to things like sick passengers, overcrowding, loss of power, and just plain smoke. I also keep a separate list of rules I think the MTA should enact to make the subway experience better. It's pretty snobby. It includes in-car thermostats and complimentary seat wipes. I'm with Alice on the grossness of some of those train cars. But Mercer and Alice still had questions for de Blasio. But, like, is the main issue with the subway the fact that it's, like, not modern? That is the question. The answer, mostly yes. The New York Times found that 13% of train delays are caused by signal malfunctions, which are due to the system's use of outdated block signaling techniques. To give you a sense of how outdated we're talking, much of the signaling machinery was installed between the 1930s and the 1960s, so that's somewhere between the Great Depression and the rise of the Beatles. Pretty old. An update of the system to a fancier computerized one would alleviate many of these delays, but the New York Times reports that that'll take about half a century. Meanwhile, there are still many other aspects of the subway system that could use patching up, like litter on tracks and updating the train cars. De Blasio's plan certainly gets to some of those issues, but it doesn't directly address the fundamental signaling problem. Before we made any judgments, though, we had to hear the other candidates' perspectives. So, Nicole says, The Republican has called for upgrades to the MTA subway signal system, which is the cause of daily delays. Unlike Bill de Blasio, Nicole will extend a hand to Governor Cuomo and work in partnership in finding funding sources to make these upgrades. Okay, she sounds less legit. Yeah, I think she doesn't have a real plan, and de Blasio does. Okay, so one thing I didn't mention before is that funding for the MTA is controlled by New York State. The reasons for that are storied and would require a history lesson. But what it really means to you and me and Mercer and Alice is that de Blasio and Governor Cuomo haven't really seen eye-to-eye on the whole transit thing. Cuomo even called de Blasio's tax plan to fund the MTA, quote, dead on arrival, end quote. That's why Amalia Takis has this added tidbit about working with the state and signaling malfunctions. She's playing to what the people want. 
That being said, she doesn't have nearly as specific of an agenda as de Blasio does. She just hasn't had the experience and time in office to craft and test plans that he's had. So he's experienced. There's yeah, not sounds gonna like be, a win de Blasio There's not going to be a waiting time, like, getting... Yeah, well, he's yeah, he's had like his. his okay, I'm putting but a also, win in De Blasio for transit. Wait, we haven't heard Bo Deedle. Okay, <laughs> Deedle has put out a three-point plan to fix the subways, which includes a freeze on capital spending until the subways are at least ninety-five percent reliable, creating a dedicated funding source to I ensure so. ongoing I really maintenance. I don't like him. I just think he's an interesting guy. <laughs> I mean, how is a hyper-conservative political pundit, a guy who starred in a dramatized film autobiography called Bo Deedle, One Tough Cop, 26% on Rotten Tomatoes, who's admitted to using the N-word and saying openly racist things because he was, quote, a cop in the 70s, who calls Bill de Blasio Big Bird, and who's been accused of plagiarizing his On the Issues page from his mayoral campaign website from Wikipedia. How is his running for mayor in a hyper-liberal city not interesting? Anyways... Um, and funding future expansions of the system using a hundred-year calable green revenue bonds. Did I say the word wrong? I don't know what the word is. Calable. Okay. C-A-L-L-A-B-L-E. Yeah. Meaning, let's go with that. Meaning designing a bond that can be paid off earlier than the maturity oh, that's cool. date. I didn't know about that. I don't understand what that means. Uh, a bond is when you loan... Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't even bother. I won't understand. Okay. So it's a callable bond, and basically it means that the person who asked for the bond, who got the money from an investor, can then pay back the initial amount of money, the principal, and stop paying interest before the scheduled maturity date. If that makes no sense, it's okay. Basically, Deedal is trying to find an alternate way to fund the MTA system, and to move away from the NYC versus New York State MTA funding debacle. So, okay... Okay, I like three-point plans. That, like, it's comforting to me. But he's focusing less on, like, the day-to-day... <laughs> I like that, yeah. ...like, that's... use of the subway. Okay, I'm gonna say win de Blasio. And now we have a three-way tie. Okay. So it's up <laughs> so to... So let's hear one last issue. It's up to education one and criminal justice. Issue. There's two more. Okay, okay, hurry. Okay, okay, okay. I want to make my decision now. Okay, de Blasio education. <laughs> One of de Blasio's shining achievements in his first term as mayor was the launch of the Universal Pre-Kindergarten in New York oh, City. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I'm currently about 70,000 four-year-olds are enrolled in full-day pre-K per his campaign. Up next, the mayor wants to make full-day early childhood education available for three-year-olds across the five boroughs. The city's public school system also saw the highest recorded graduation rate in 2016 at 72.6%. Okay. Nice. That's good. That's really high. Universal pre-K has been huge for de Blasio. The New Yorker reported in September, quote, he delivered with a swiftness that even skeptics were obliged to acknowledge, and on a scale that is nationally unprecedented. 2,000 teachers were recruited for the effort, and more than 3,000 new classrooms were created in school buildings and approved community centers. The September after de Blasio won the primary, 13,000 new pre-K seats were made available to any New York family who wished to apply, rich, poor, or anywhere in between, end quote. It's hard to compete with that. Maliotakis argues that funding is not going to the right places in the city's schools and wants to see it go directly into the classroom, paying for supplies and technology. Mm. I like universal pre-K. Yeah. I think a year of education is more More valuable. than, like, some markers or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, wait, last one on education from Deedle. One proposal from Deedle's campaign would reduce student debt by creating tax incentives for private businesses to take part in a super fund for college tuition grants. 
New Yorkers making less than $100,000 a year would qualify to apply such a program. Apply to such a program. Dito wants to open more vocational schools, believing that young adults would be better equipped for the workforce with more practical skills. That sounds That's nice, also too. That's, like, the whole other end of it. I feel like pre-K is more important because it's important to have a good foundation and a good start. Well, what if the universal pre-K bill is going to be in practice even if Bodhi Dill wins? Like, what if that continues? And That's then true. he can build on top of that with student debt stuff. But then That's more research we have to do. Else. He would but just like, keep focusing on little kids. Less That's people are going step, to right? get to college... If they don't have pre-K, that's yeah. true. I feel like early education is most important because then you have a foundation to, like, if you don't go to pre-K, you're behind in kindergarten. Yeah. It's also, I think... And then once you're behind in kindergarten, then you're you behind don't for your care whole life. about yeah. school. As yeah. Alice just mentioned there, pre-K is an important foundation. Researchers at the Brookings Institution found in 2005 that government-run early childhood education programs are beneficial not only for kids' academic success, but also for their behavioral and emotional development. Restructuring student debt through a complex pool of New Yorkers' money is cool, but the clear data of de Blasio's universal pre-K was more compelling to Mercer and Alice. I'm going to say when de Blasio and so for de Blasio's like, One final topic, just for good measure. Like, okay, one last one. Other. Crime and criminal justice reform. This is big. De Blasio's administration was involved with the passage of a package of bills known as the Criminal Justice Reform Act in the City Council in 2016. The act, among other things, allows, poli- allows police officers to issue a civil ticket for many low-level nonviolent offenses. De Blasio also recently re- proposed a 10-year plan to shutter the scandal-plagued Rikers Island facility. The complex would be replaced by a series of smaller jails placed in each borough, according to de Blasio's administration. On primary day, several activists who want to see Rikers closed heckled the mayor outside of his Brooklyn po- polling site, demanding that he close the jail faster. Um, wait, what's bad with Rikers? Rikers Island is essentially an isolated jail in which low- and high-level criminal offenders are put together, governed by often violent guards and gangs, some never even coming out. Inmates have baked to death in overheated cells, they've been denied vital medicine like insulin, and they've been left unsupervised in solitary confinement for hours on end. Horror stories of deaths and scandals frequently come from the island years after they occur, a figment of a widespread cover-up by guards. So, to answer Mercer's question... Wait, what's bad with Rikers? Everything. I like the civil ticket but, thing. Okay, but if if there's a ton of things bad at Rikers, isn't that kind of incentive not to want to go to Rikers? <laughs> this point has been brought up before in response to the closed Rikers movement, but the sheer number of horrific events that have occurred within the walls of the jail make it impossible to argue. Rikers is a jail, after all, not a prison. It's designed to hold inmates briefly while they await trial, not to be the last place they ever see. So Mercer and Alice, like most New Yorkers, ended up agreeing with de Blasio's proposal to close Rikers. Let's hear um, Mm -hmm. Deedle. Yes, okay. Or, well, first... Nicole's behind. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just hear it. The mayoral candidate opposes the proposal to close Rikers Island and build jails across the five boroughs. (laughs) She wants to modernize the current prison complex and focus on the case backlog in the justice system. The case backlog... It just like means that there are a lot of cases the, that have yet to be. Well, like there are a lot of cases that have yet to be heard. Yeah. Guys, oh, law okay. and order. <laughs> so oh, that's good. That's um, she also disagrees with De Blasio on the lower penalties for crimes like public urination and littering. Okay, so I don't like her anymore. <laughs> yeah, because let's like hear about. Issue. Okay. It's challenging for a mayoral candidate to run on a platform that doesn't include closing Rikers in New York. Most New Yorkers want to see it closed, so Molly Atakis is eliminated. Last guy, one sentence. 
Dietl wants to reevaluate the NYPD's use of body cameras and get rid of the college education requirements for recruits, allowing officers to earn their degrees over the course of five years instead. I'm going to go with de Blasio. That doesn't, yeah. He sounds like he has a solid plan, and I like him more, so go de Blasio, I'm voting de Blasio. Woo! Alice had to leave then, but Mercer was still considering the candidates. On the crime thing, like, obviously the use of body cameras is really important, but it's not as bad as, like, the what's it called, like, school-to-prison pipeline that would yeah. be, like, fixed with the education thing and the prison. Like, the use of body Wait, cameras is so different than people cameras? actually going to... That's Catherine, another student at my high school who was sitting at the table. NYPD has body cameras right now. Wait, like, just reevaluate. I looked it up, and the police force has since the spring of this year. Now. Wait, like, does reevaluate mean, mean get more? rid of? Oh, get rid of. Well, if he's re- like, if he's like, should we actually use them? Should we mm-hmm. not actually use them? So he wants I think to what that them. what that implies is that I have to look into it. I have no idea. So I kept my word, and I did look into it. On Deedle's on the issues page, that one that's plagiarized, there is no more information about his stance. But looking into his history with the police force and his hardline stance on law enforcement, it became clear that Deedle is hoping to decrease the use of body cams by the NYPD. So the results are in. Alice made her decision in that room. She's going to vote for de Blasio. Mercer's still weighing her choices. We'll hear their final decisions and reflections on the voting process after the break. Before we get into Mercer and Alice's decisions, I'd just like to say a few words about one of our major supporters, Pen in a Box. So the voting process was a little different than I expected. This is Alice, reflecting on her experience voting for the first time. I had expected to go in there and just vote for mayor. However, there were a lot of other positions on there that I hadn't even ever heard of until I got to the ballot. This is typical of many New York City voters. City council positions, state senate positions, and the district attorney were all up for re-election and included on the ballot, including a couple of other positions. Also, in this particular election, voters were asked to partake in three additional ballot measures, asking whether or not the state should hold a convention to explore possible revisions to the state constitution, and whether or not amendments should be added related to pension reform and the use of the Adirondacks. The implications of all of these are politically complex and very interesting, but they aren't quite as clear as voting for mayor, unless you have some handy research at your fingertips. Additionally, I had read a New York Times article beforehand which had told me how to vote for each of the proposals on the ballot so there were three proposals each for specific things that would happen in our city and the New York Times article was actually really helpful in this case because had I not read it I likely wouldn't have understood what the proposals were about or how they would impact people however reading the article really broke down each of the proposals for me and 
how voting yes would impact people and how voting no would impact people. So ultimately, I did end up voting the way the New York Times recommended people do. And I think just having this New York Times source as a trustworthy source to look to when you're unsure of how to vote is great. And I think the New York Times definitely reflects a lot of the things I believe in and a lot of my values. So looking at that was just a really great resource. I have to agree with Alice here. This episode isn't supposed to be a New York Times ad, and I'm aware of the shortcomings of some of the Times' journalism, but in general, I think it serves a great purpose as a source of broken down information that can be read quickly to gain an understanding of issues that would otherwise be quite confusing. But enough of that. Let's see if Alice stuck to her pro-de Blasio conclusion. So I ended up voting for de Blasio just because when looking at his stance on the issues that were most important to me, he seemed to better reflect my values than the Republican candidate. So I looked at education and he had implemented the universal pre-K system, which I think is essential. I think that was a great step in the right direction. I've always believed that early education is one of the most important things you can get. So just knowing that he shared my belief in the value of early education was a strong indicator that I should vote for de Blasio. Additionally, he seemed to have a plan in place and some clear steps he wanted to take to reform the criminal justice system, which clearly needs to be reformed, needs to have a second look taken at, needs to, we need to take a second look at that. Um, So that was another win for de Blasio. Additionally, he'd already been mayor for a term, so I think just knowing that he had some experience in the job and knows how to get things done efficiently and well was another indicator that he would make a good mayor. Also, when looking at the Republican candidate, I had read that she wasn't a strong believer in immigration. So being from New York City and interacting with immigrants on a daily basis, I just wasn't comfortable voting for a candidate who ultimately didn't feel that immigration was beneficial to our country. So I was able to rule her out just based on her stance on that one issue because that is a really important issue that I think affects a lot of people in the city. So Alice was loyal to her party and to her decision after our 20-minute research session in the beginning of the episode. Next up is Mercer. Remember, we left her undecided and still weighing her options. Okay, here we go. Um, just a disclaimer, I am completely politically illiterate, so do not trust anything I'm saying because I don't. Side note, personally, I'd argue that talking about the upcoming mayoral election with a group of friends and thoughtfully weighing the issues counts as political literacy, but anyway. Well, having gone with my parents to the uh, like presidential election, um, like voting polls before, um, it was obviously a lot different because 
my mom and I were the only people there. Um, I mean, I don't really know how many people in the city actually vote for mayor. 21.7% of New York's population of registered voters voted in this election. That's 1,085,000 votes. Next, Mercer described the literal voting process. You just get this like very abnormally long piece of paper in a slip and then you go in this like little like personal cubicle like type thing with a pen and then just fill in the bubbles like the SAT or something. Um, that was pretty much it. And then you like insert that abnormally long slip of paper into the machine walking out. And that's civic duty. But you're all probably not so interested in the filling in of bubbles. We teenagers are very well accustomed to that. You want to know who Mercer voted for and why. Obviously, once, as I mentioned before, I am not very politically literate or and I don't really keep up with politics that often, especially um, that having to do with my state and my city, if anything. Um, so I didn't really have much information um, like leading my decision on who I was going to vote for. I think that was everything was kind of based off of things that I'd heard from other people and then my last minute research the night before. Pause for dramatic effect. I ended up voting for Nicole Maliotakis. I think I think my vote was mainly based on um, the stance on homelessness compared to de Blasio's. And then I think also, although I did agree with some of the stances that he had, um, just given the things that he did as mayor and as he, he didn't really follow through with many of the promises he made during his initial election. Um, and then, like, again, just his, his stance on homelessness, which I think is something very important, especially for New York City. In case you've forgotten over the course of this long episode, de Blasio's solution to homelessness is Homestat, a mapping program that helps volunteers find homeless people and get them the individualized help they need. It's a slow, perhaps inefficient process that even de Blasio has admitted will take a long time to see the true benefits of. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to vote in a mayoral, a mayoral election again, to be honest. I think probably because I just recently turned 18 is what led me to we vote We the People is hosted today. by me, Zora Lunga-Reed. This episode was edited and recorded and produced by me. Our theme is by the mysterious and wonderful Brick Walsh of Cylinder. The music in this episode was created um, by Nate and Antoine. Our cover art was designed by C.C. Wong with help from Naomi Wong-Kenobi. Special thanks to Mercer, Alice, Catherine, and Jordan for their interviews and insights. Research. This episode is dedicated um, to Miss Lydell, the librarian who didn't shush us while we yeah, were recording, I would recommend and to Yura on Madison for The Fuel. Thanks for listening, and as always, That's all I have to say. Good night, New York City.
As a brief epilogue to this episode, as you probably know by now, de Blasio won the election with 66.5% of the vote. That's just over 14% of registered voters in the city at large. Clearly, to those who did vote on Tuesday, de Blasio is deserving of a second term. But the results also reveal that there's a greater turnout issue in the city that should be addressed before the next election. This result didn't come as a shock to anyone. It's essentially impossible for a Republican to be mayor in New York, and third-party candidates also have some trouble. I do hope, though, that this episode did two things for you. First, that it taught you a little bit more about New York City politics. And second, to all those lucky 18-year-olds, that it inspired you to vote. It's been a year and a couple of days since the 2016 election, and many of us are still looking for ways to get involved. And if it's available to you, voting is truly one of the best. So go, get informed, and perform your civic duty. We the People is hosted by me, Zora Lunga-Reed. This episode was edited, reported, and produced by me. Our theme is by the mysterious and wonderful Breakmaster Cylinder. The music in this episode was created by Nate Antoine. Our cover art was designed by C.C. Wong with help from Naomi Wan Kenobi. Special thanks to Mercer, Alice, Catherine, and Jordan for their interviews and their insights. This episode is dedicated to Miss Lydell, the librarian who didn't shush us while we were recording, and to Yura on Madison for The Fuel. Thanks for listening, and as always, have a great week.